I'm George Lucas Pfeiffer, and you're listening to Work Inspired. This podcast brings together the top minds in commercial real estate, key influencers in architecture and design, business owners, thought leaders, technologists, and visionaries, all to explore how great work gets done. My guest today is a partner at the law firm Quarles and Brady. He has a Harvard Law School degree and is an expert in commercial real estate law. Very excited to have this man on the show. Please welcome Ted Yee. Well, Ted, thank you so much for being on the show today. I know you're a busy guy and I really appreciate you being here to talk to us um, about some of your experience and shed some insight on the situation that we're currently going through. You had told me that there was a culture at Quarles and Brady before the, the COVID-19 crisis, and then it's kind of shifted since then. So let's, let's start there. Let's talk about kind of what was the culture like? Um, how did people work? Uh, at your at your law firm before we all went into this crazy work from home situation. Um, I don't know if I call it a culture change. <laughs> Our culture state remains pretty uh, pretty much what it is, but just how we uh, go about doing our work. Uh, I think, like many other law firms, uh, we we're pretty traditional, uh, conservative, if you will, uh, not not in a political sense, but conservative in a slow to change sense about how we use our office. Um, I think the significant majority of like 90% of our attorneys, you know, would come into the office, uh, if not daily, then, you know, quite frequently, the folks that work uh, remotely are, uh, were in a distinct minority. Uh, we did support it, uh, and we were uh, happy to support it, but I would say the, the vast majority of our lawyers would come into the office to do to do their their work, uh, very you know very in a very traditional setting. We each had our own separate offices, bigger office for partners, smaller offices for associates, uh, but you know very I would say in terms of a work environment, very very traditional. Yeah, we had seen because in in our industry, the commercial interiors industry, we were tracking some of the shifting trends in legal and law firm spaces uh, before all this happened, and there was certainly a bit of a shift moving away from the huge private offices for uh, each partner um, and the number of uh, support staff per lawyer. Um, and we were seeing that kind of trend down as following the open office trend, not so much as some of the, you know, the tech companies that were going full open office and shared shared benching, but we we're certainly seeing a decrease in the, the, the square footage per, um, per headcount. And I feel like this is kind of now super accelerated it, you know, to now you, no one's in the office right now. How do you think, you know, when our state opens back up, and I know some states are already opening back up, how do you think it's going to change, you know, this this experience that we've just had is going to impact the future of of how you guys work? That's a that's a good question. It's hard, it's hard to forecast these things, but a couple of things I would suspect. When, when we go back to our offices, and this is going to be true of every business, um, we're going to have uh, social distancing rules in place. We're going to have uh, you know safety rules and rules in place. For law firms, I don't think it'll be as difficult as for some other uh, for some other office users in that we have pretty big distance anyways. <laughs> our our headcount per uh, per square foot is relatively low compared to you know many other other uses. So I think in terms of Social distancing it may not be as difficult for law firms. Like you said the lawyers, for the most part, have private offices, uh, and even staff have, uh, you know, distinct carols. Uh, 
that are certainly bigger than six feet. <laughs> They'll be certainly be more than six feet apart from their from their neighbor. And oftentimes in in our office, there's uh, you know distinct dividers between between their pods. I you see, I'm sure you've seen some of these furniture systems. Uh, so this whole distinction won't be that as difficult for a law firm, I don't think, as maybe some other users. You're, you're right. I think some law firms went to, uh, you know, the, uh, the open, 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 uh, what, is, what is it called? You know the name for this, the, the, open, the open plans, but I think very, very few. Uh, we're, we're pretty slow to change uh, industry, including how we use our space. And I think you're right that even before uh, the lockdowns, law firms were working to get more efficient uh, with their space, meaning uh, with their space and with, with everything, because we we're, were in a very competitive environment. We needed to reduce our costs. Um, our space costs are one of our, our highest line items. After our personnel costs, space is maybe the, the second uh, the highest cost for uh, a professional service firm like ours, although IT is very quickly catching up. <laughs> and in some cases, it will pass up our space, uh, our space uh, uh, line item. Uh, but yeah, the law firms were trying to go in that direction, uh, single size offices, getting rid of the large uh, partner offices. Uh, we were just not taking meetings in our office anymore. We just, we, we just that, that wasn't happening. So you didn't need the giant partner office. But law firms were shifting in that, in that direction even before the lockdown. Uh, I think the lockdown is going to uh, accelerate that. And in, in particular, I think now that people have worked at home and I think the majority of us have done it, have done it successfully, uh, I think there's going to be more remote working, uh, not not less. So maybe they'll be we'll have opportunities to be even more efficient with our space, and right? perhaps hotel space. Perhaps I, th there are another uh, number of possibilities now that people I think, for the most part, are now, and there's still you know resistors among us, <laughs> for, for the for the most part are. Um, uh, now understand that remote working can work for uh, a professional service firm like ours. Before the lockdown, how often were you in front of people? Your specialty is real estate law. So when you would do leases and signings, was it similar to the residential side where it would always be done in person with people sitting down and signing papers at a table? Has that changed now? Yeah. So in terms of my lawyering work, uh, we didn't meet in person much anymore. Uh, yeah, you're correct. We used to have you know, we exchange some papers and then you'd have a face-to-face -face meeting negotiating session and then you know you write it up and, and you sign you sign the contract you typically even before the lockdown you didn't do that uh you, you didn't really have those sort of face-to-face -face meetings you didn't even for, for to a large extent you didn't even have you know all your giant closing gatherings within one room everything was handled uh you know through emails and messengers and uh and overnight packages uh-huh. You didn't, from the lawyering standpoint, I didn't do a whole lot of sit down. We did occasionally what happened, but not nearly as much as, it, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago. Um, but we, I still did have a lot of face-to-face -face meetings. It was mainly in two categories. One was uh, I had, I had uh, management responsibilities with the firm. Uh, they ended last November, but uh, there are a lot of those meetings very often had to be, were face-to-face -face, uh, with, either large gatherings or small gatherings, but you know, a lot of the management happened uh, face to face. Uh, and then a, a lot of the, the, the networking <laughs> in terms of business development or uh, just, you know, getting involved with the com community or getting involved with the profession. Uh, oftentimes those involved face to face. Uh, that's, you know, 
is that's how we build relationships, right? <laughs> Generally, relationships you know, when we're together. Uh, obviously, that has not happened for you, right. You, you'd have your typical business lunch. Uh, you don't have that anymore. <laughs> At least we haven't had it for close to a couple months now. Um, so I, I don't know how that will change after uh, you know the lockdown ends. So that that we may go back to doing that, but I'm not I'm not as sure about that. Yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, I've got a couple of questions for you based off of what you just said, but I, comparing to, you know, translating what you said to, over to our company, I, I have seen that the, probably the people that are struggling the most are, are the salespeople, the, the business development people, because that model under this lockdown has completely changed and gone away. You know, now it's a digital outreach. It's a, it's, um, leveraging the internet and social media a lot more. Of, of course, they were trying to do that before, but the goal was always to get in front of a person. You know, unless you embraced an e-commerce model where you could sell your services or your products right from a website, the relationship was so important. And so having to try to develop, nurture, and maintain a relationship now completely isolated from a person through the internet is such a change for so many people. So um, it's interesting that you talk about that as far as the networking side of it. And I think a lot of people are wondering in an industry where it was traditional that relationships were formed by getting together with other people. Um, what is the future going to look like? You know, we can do our work from, from home a lot of times, but to develop relationships with people from home is a different, a whole different animal, I think. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree with you. Uh, it's, you can maintain relationships, I think, uh, virtually, um, but I think it's difficult to build new ones. Uh, and in a professional service, professional services like ours, that trust and knowing your advisor is critical. It's a different kind of sales. Uh, you have to build some rapport and trust between the client uh, and the attorney uh, in order to make that relationship work. Again, I think it's... It, the maintaining it can be done remotely, but it's difficult to build it, <laughs> I think. Do you think that referrals from people that you do trust are more important now than ever or will be? Huh. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that, but I think you may be correct. I, I think that's right. I, I think that refer and referrals are always a big part of you know how I develop business. Uh, I think that may be even more, uh, more important uh, because you – the the buyer you know the client can't physically meet with you and check you out so to speak so they, they have to rely more on you know their trusted uh you know trusted advisors about who would be if you who would be a good lawyer for this kind of work um i hadn't thought about that but that i think you may be right You talked about um, the rising costs of IT. Is that due to leveraging new technologies in some of the changes in ways that you're doing business? Uh, right. So I'm not an IT expert, so I don't know why, so why there's an increase in costs. I just know there is. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm assuming with this, uh, as we go to a more remote platform, it's going to increase even more. Uh, just the, the types of applications we need, the, the volume of application we need, you know, the, the amount of data we need to, to store and, and secure. 
uh, I, I don't anticipate those costs going down. In fact, they're, I, I think they're going to rise pretty steeply. Are you guys doing a lot of Zoom and video conferencing like so many other industries are? Are there new technologies that you guys are adapting now that you hadn't used before? Yes, we're doing a lot of video conferencing. Uh, we don't, we're not allowed to use, sorry, we're not allowed to use Zoom for um, for purposes because we uh, our IT folks aren't, aren't comfortable with the security. Uh, we do, we use other platforms that are, that we can better secure. Uh, and even certain things you, you cannot transmit, um, you know, over the internet, <laughs> just there, uh, that we have to be, we have to be very vigilant about data, data security in our business. We can audit it for, for data security. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, the, the, we've, we're doing a lot of virtual meetings, uh, uh, we just got to be very careful about the security. We, we're even doing virtual. One of the things I was worried about was uh, losing team building, losing you know group morale while we're all separate. Uh, we've been doing. Uh, we've been very consciously doing uh, you know social events beyond work conferences. Just you know social get-togethers to see how's it going, how you doing, how's your how's your family, how's your dog. Uh, and we've, been, and we've been doing those by Zoom. <laughs> Actually, Zoom is a very good platform for those. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, so we've been trying. We've been trying to keep you know, the team building going uh, virtually, even though we're we're required to be apart. Yeah, I, I think the privacy piece is is really important that you touched on that. I, a lot of people, obviously, Zoom's got some issue. You know, has been in the news for um, early on with their you know their their growth rate that was just explosive and then some there were some privacy concerns and they've been trying to make concessions on that it seems but you know i think privacy in general even before this whole situation was a very quickly rising trend in in the commercial interiors industry and i'm you know it it has been for many years in the legal industry just like the financial industry and so many others the medical industry but i think i think now the concept of privacy has shifted to some you know at least to some extent, based off of, you know, work is so much work is being done in your home, like the the foundation of your personal life, basically, <laughs> that I think a lot of companies now are try, really having to relook at what does privacy mean, you know, and what how do we protect people, but also give them the freedom to not turn their, their, you know, their house into the locked down firewall protected corporate, you know, workplace that we're, that we've been used to right yeah that, that's exactly right yeah so it, in our offices we have separate uh, floors for our attorneys uh meaning guests can't come up there uh we have a we have, uh, you've seen these we have a public floor where you have your public meetings and we your, your visitors come see you there but our 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 working lawyer floors um they're separate uh, and you, you're, you're not to take meetings or guests up there and and some of our clients require that it's part of their part of their security requirements, and we are audited for that. <laughs> our, our clients will audit us for compliance with their with their with their uh, uh, with their rules. And yeah, so I you're right. I don't know how that happens in a home setting. <laughs> I don't. I don't think I, I'm looking around my dining room table. I've got papers laying around on here. So what do I do with those? <laughs> in theory, I should do them every night, but I don't know how you do that. <laughs> Well, I think, you know, and I know this is not beyond your kind of, you know, the level where you, the the subject matter level where you'd be giving guidance on, but I know that a lot of business owners are concerned 
about how quickly everything's changing, how every week there seems to be new guidance. But, you know, in the back of their minds, they're saying, all right, well, if I do these things, can I get sued later on? You know, am I protected legally? You know, like I I think it's going to become a hot topic as people start to return to the workplace, temperature taking, you know, um, you know, these, these, these new processes and procedures. I think, I think business owners are all thinking, how can they make sure that they're protected legally when they put these policies in place so that, you know, even if they're able to usher in a really safe COVID free, you know, workplace return that in three or four or five months, they're not in the middle of a lawsuit. <laughs> you know, So um, definitely a hot topic. I'd say for the last, say, four or six weeks, a lot of people just scrambling to survive, right? You're, you're going through contracts, trying to figure out how to preserve cash flow so you can keep paying your people and keep paying your bills. Uh, it, we, were, we were just scrambling madly for, uh, for, for the last bit of time. Um, but I've really, over the last couple of weeks, and maybe a little bit more, depending on how forward looking the, 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 the company is, I've been getting more questions about exactly that, reopening. You know, what should our policy be for reopening? What are we permitted to do? What are we not permitted to do? What can we, you know, can we make mandatory, you know, temperature testing or a mandatory te- uh, medical testing? Uh, that I've seen a shift now to planning for reopening, which I think is great. It's actually quite hopeful, <laughs> but that's exactly what people are, are thinking about. Uh, and I'm a little concerned, <laughs> you know, right now the courts for the most part are, are closed. Uh, I'm, a, and so we don't see a whole lot of complaints. Our litigators just, they're, they're fairly slow because they don't have the court time. Uh, but I think there's a concern that there'll be a flood of litigation come the fall uh, when the courts, courts reopen because uh, there's a lot of liability, uh, a lot of damage that happened to the you know, trillions of dollars kind of damage <laughs> every, every, every suffered. And then the question is, well, should that damage be reallocated? Through, through a lawsuit. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I hope people are thoughtful about that. Because uh, we could, just like we were worried about the hospitals being overwhelmed, their courts could get overwhelmed come this fall. Uh, their dockets could be completely overwhelmed with a flood of lawsuits. So we just want, hopefully we're a little in thoughtful about it. Uh, although, <laughs> who knows, right? <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, and and I even I hesitate to ask the question because I just don't know that there's a real answer to it at this point. But is there anything that a business owner can be doing right now to, you know, be thinking the safety of their team first and foremost, but also to be thinking about the safety of their own liability? <laughs> you know, like any advice you've got in that arena? Yeah, I, I'm. That is what everybody's planning on now we're trying trying to figure out figure out right now and it's this is new right this is not something we have a template for um so we're we're all working figuring that out right now in fact i got a conference call after this in about an hour with exactly that topic you know what are our procedures what are our plans what are our our what's the what's the best way to reopen uh as you said one the, the most important thing this health and safety of your employees, people around the, your, your customers, uh, others around you. Uh, but then also how do you protect the company? And that's, that's what, that's what company leaders have to do. You got to think, how do I protect the company? Uh, uh, and that's 
really what's happening right now. Uh, I don't know if you saw, there is a, one of the first lawsuits I saw was, who is this? Uh, a few plaintiffs sued McDonald's for, for unsafe conditions. I guess it's a class action. Uh, there's going to be a fair amount of this. Uh, it, it'll be, it's interesting to see how this plays out. Yeah, we're all, uh, we'll all be tuning in as, as, as you are and probably looking to firms like yours for, for guidance and advice. We'll see if the, uh, the government steps in and pr- puts some sort of protection in. But I agree with you. I, I, didn't, I didn't liken it before to the, um, the idea of protecting the overflow and the strain on the system for hospitals. But I feel like you're right. As soon as people feel like they have the capacity to start thinking that way, I, I fear that it's going to start to happen. So um, very interesting. Well, let's, let's, take a, let's, let's, let's shift back in time a little bit now um and uh and and go back about a decade 10 years ago to when you made your big career move over to quarrels and brady where you're currently at and tell me about that decision because as i understand it it was an opportunity in your career where you could be part of kind of a growing a company and that's a a theme that we talk about a lot on this podcast is entrepreneurship and initiative and um, taking action so tell me a little bit about your thought process and, and that experience Sure, be, be happy to. Uh, yeah, I was at a large, uh, oh, 10 years ago, I was at a large international firm, uh, really happy with the work I was doing in terms of lawyering, uh, really high level, as sophisticated as you can get, very challenging, the kind of stuff that you want to do uh, as a lawyer. And you were there for a long time, right? You were there 25 years. Pretty close to 25 years. Yeah. Long time. And very, I, I had great colleagues. We took care of each other. Um, kids. Can't say anything bad about the place. Uh, at the time, I was uh, my management position at the time was running a um, running a uh, well, I call it a production unit. It's our, our leasing, it was a leasing team that we did commercial leasing work for lots of the firm firms clients, uh, say fifteen to twenty uh, people on the team, uh, lawyers, paralegals, staff, uh, and it was it was enjoyable, you know, uh, managing a team, uh, but. I didn't have an opportunity to, and this doesn't, doesn't come very often for lawyers, <laughs> to, to help build uh, an office, build, uh, you know, build something beyond your own personal practice. Pearls and Brady, it's, it's Pearls and Brady, you know, has been around for hundred and many, many years. Uh, and uh, the firm is very, very thoughtful about succession planning and about con- continuity. You, you, you don't get to be, you know, hundred plus years old without that. Uh, and there was a little bit of a succession gap at Quarles' Chicago office that they were looking for someone to fill in. And then also a little bit of a, uh, I, guess we call, I guess you'd call it a, a gap. I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to over, overstate it, but they're, they're looking for, the, 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 the firm had plans to, uh, specific plans to go with the Chicago presence. Historically, uh, the firm uh, uh, was and is a leading law firm in Wisconsin working in the top one, two, three in Wisconsin. Uh, that's historically our, our home base. Uh, the, the firm was looking around for where can we grow? Not, to back up a little bit, lawyers were a service industry. So for the most part, we just follow the economy. We serve the economy. So the economy is going great. Our, our revenues grow. You should be growing along with the, with the GDP growth. Uh, if the GDP, if the economy is shrinking, there's some kind of cyclical practices, but typically you shrink your, your you shrink a bit with, with the economy, but 
ideally what leadership wants is growth beyond GDP growth, right? You want to, you want to outperform. You, you, you don't want to just be, um, uh, just follow along with the general economy. Uh, so the firm looked around for opportunities to grow beyond and it grow, grow this we were coming out of your call, coming out of the great recession. And the firm was looking for uh, ways to grow beyond just, uh, just following the economy. Uh, and it was determined that Chicago was, was uh, one of the primary growth opportunities. We had a presence in Chicago, um, but it was a relatively small presence and uh, relatively, and it was viewed as a satellite to the Wisconsin practice, uh, an important satellite, but still a satellite. The firm uh, made the decision to grow the office into a full service, full Chicago presence. Uh, at the time I joined, it was maybe 50 or 60 attorneys. Uh, and the goal was to uh, pretty quickly move up to 100 attorneys and fill out all the practices that we did not have. We made the decision to grow the Chicago office to 100, 100 attorneys. Um, and they uh, offered me the opportunity to help with that. Uh, we're first, they offered me the opportunity to help with the succession planning for the real estate group in Chicago, which is an important group for the firm in Chicago. Uh, but then beyond that, help with the growth of the Chicago office and into a full service platform with at least 100 attorneys. Um, and that's not an opportunity you lawyers usually get. <laughs> we tell, uh, and in this case, it was what was nice about it was it was an established firm uh, with a, you know, a stable presence. Uh, so it wasn't, it wasn't like I was building from ground up and I failed. I was out of the street. <laughs> so it was, it was an opportunity, uh, but with limited risk, because don't forget us lawyers are not great risk takers, <laughs> even though we're not all that comfortable with, with risk. We try to actually spot it and avoid it for our clients. I don't know. That's not great for our own business, but that is what that is our that is what we do. Uh, so it was an opportunity to uh, help grow something, uh, but with with a if you will a safety net uh, underneath all of it. Uh, so I, I was very uh, very excited about the prospect. Uh, and even though I, I did enjoy practicing law and it was, it was at a very high level of practice at my old firm, uh, it was just an opportunity that I really wanted to take. So 10 years later, and you guys have obviously had a lot of growth and a lot of success. It's, you know, this is, I think, a unique opportunity when you're able to talk to somebody with such a, you know, such a great experience over the course of time. If you could look back to that, that decision point 10 years ago, knowing what you know now, is there anything that you would tell yourself? <laughs> uh, first of all, I really, really, very much enjoyed it. it is, I got exactly uh, what I was promised. I got a chance to do what, uh, uh, do what I, I wanted to do. And we did grow the firm into a, the office, sorry, the Chicago office, into a full service platform. Uh, did meet the, meet, meet the goal of over, over 100 attorneys. Uh, so it, it was very satisfying in, in that regard. In terms of what would I have liked to have known <laughs> before I did this? Well, so I, as I mentioned, at my old firm, I had been managing a, a I'll call it a production unit, uh, and, there, and there were responsibilities involved in that, team building and you know, client development, um, but I did not, at that time, I did not have a big overview of how, law, how the law firm functioned 
about the law firm strategy and where, where it was, you know, just where the law firm place was in the world, how you go, how a successful law firm is built. I just, I had a much narrower view. I was, you know, on the production line. <laughs> so I did not have that when I came to Corals. Uh, I, I gained it through uh, service on what we call our executive committee, essentially our, our elected board. Uh, but I didn't know exactly how uh, the real estate group or even the Chicago office fit into the overall strategy of the firm. I had an idea, but I didn't fully appreciate uh, all the bits and pieces and uh, exactly what I what would be best in terms of the growth of Chicago office. Uh, I, I didn't learn it over the last 10 years. I'm not, I'm a, I, uh, we do have a learning culture at the firm, uh, but it, it would have been better had I known, had I had that level of experience going into the job. You were um, actually referred to be a guest on this show by one of our employees who you mentor. And in speaking with you in our planning call, I, I learned how kind of mentorship and giving back is not just a, an important piece of your professional life, but it's also something that you practice in your community and in your faith. Um, tell me a little bit about the importance of mentorship and of, of giving back. Um, what makes a great, great mentor? And um, are there any stories that you can share uh, from your experience in, in these different uh, kind of ways of giving back and of service? We're all supposed to, at the end of the day, make things better when we, when we leave, right? We're supposed to, supposed to improve things around us. Uh, and I think mentoring in terms of uh, helping in particular younger uh, people, either younger attorneys or people outside of your profession or, or, kid, or in particular kids for that matter, is a great way uh, to improve things around you because it's a multiplier, Right. You you help you know uh, you help someone become a better lawyer. You help someone become you know whatever just a better better what they do. Uh, then they in turn can go help others. Uh, like I said, there's a, there's a multiplier effect to to, to the effort. Um, so it, I, I think it's for me at least it's an effective way to uh, you know do my bit to make things a little better around here. <laughs> and I think it's all of our jobs. Yeah. In terms of um, what makes a great mentor? So I think a few things. You got to be a good listener. Uh, you can't assume that the person you want to help has it was, well, it was actually not correct. That they have the same background as you. That they have the same goals or aspirations. So you, you have to be a very good listener. You have to understand what that person, that person's background, and what that person wants to accomplish, uh, and what you can, and then think about what you can do to help. Uh, but in order to do that, you got to be, you have to be able to listen and, you know, actually hear what the person uh, is saying he wants to do. And then you have to have a, a great deal of humility. You have to understand that it's that person's life, right? So you can't solve all their problems, you can, but you can help them. You can help them in, in, in many ways, but it's not, there's limits to what you can do. And there's, uh, you, just, you have to not approach with a whole lot of uh, ego, <laughs> a whole lot of ego and noodles, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. You're kind of looking, I mean, it, you got to approach it with a real kind of servant's mindset, right? And it's not something, you're not doing it to get something out of it. You're doing it to help somebody else. And I think, yeah, I think that's really important because I do think that there's, you know, you, yeah, I'm sure you're asked to be on advisory boards and 
you know, in these paid positions quite often. And, uh, and this is not that this is more of a, uh, almost philanthropic type of a thing where you're, you're really selfish, selflessly giving to somebody else. And I think that it's relevant to what you were talking about before, about looking back at your decision that you made 10 years ago and, it was the right decision and it, 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 you know, it turned out to be a great success, but for someone that was in that spot in their career 10 years later to have helped guide you, you know, and to be able to do that for others who are earlier on in their careers now, I think is a great service. So, um, I think that's remarkable that that's such a, uh, an important part of, um, your life. If, if, if I was, if you were mentoring me and I was looking to grow my professional career, what, what, what's, what's one piece of advice you could tell me? Oh, I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. I'm not, I don't know that much about you or about your background and what you want to accomplish, but probably similar things. The mentor and mentee need to have the same similar thing about, you know, uh, being humble and knowing what you can and can't do. Uh, uh, not that you shouldn't stretch <laughs> or try to, uh, you know, always, always, you know, improve and better things. Um, well, what, one thing I think is it's very important for particularly a younger person is to always be constantly, constantly curious. <laughs> don't, don't be constantly. What's the word for it? I just think inquisitive. Uh, if you don't understand something. Try to figure it out. <laughs> don't just, don't just, don't just walk away from it. And it actually makes life a lot more enjoyable. If, if, if you, uh, you know, are constantly uh, trying to learn more things, and in order to do that, you've got to be curious about how things work, about how other people are, 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 are behaving. Or, um, so I, maybe it's be curious about things, be inquisitive. All right. Curious George, you got it. <laughs> oh, you see, there's one question I asked before that I didn't, I didn't think I answered about, uh, about, I think, stories about people who have mentored me. If, mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Uh, so early on in my career, a big part of uh, our job is we, we do reading and writing and drafting, but then a big part of what I do is negotiating where we, uh, you know, work things out with the, with the other party. It's not adversarial like a litigator is, uh, but it's still negotiating. I mean, both parties have goals and they both, and they match, otherwise you wouldn't be doing a deal, but not exactly. <laughs> so, so negotiating is a big part of what we do. Uh, so early in my career, there was uh, a senior partner named Kevin Garvey, that was at my, my, my old firm, uh, led me through negotiations. He, had, he allowed me to sit in and, and, and watch how he did it. Um, but the critical point is at one point in time, he's got to let you loose and let you do it on your own. And not, not every partner can do this. So he actually had me fly out to California for a couple day negotiating session. Uh, it turned out to be a good friend of his that was opposing counsel. So I just sat in a room with this, with this opposing counsel and negotiated a very complicated deal, you know, on my own after after Kevin had trained me and taught me. But again, but like I said, you know, training wheels come off at some point in time, which is <laughs> which is a hard thing for some mentors to do especially in a professional setting, but he did. Uh, and it was a huge uh, growth for me, growth moment for me. <laughs> and it, I, I didn't realize at the time, but I, he, you know, the person that was the opposing counsel was a good friend of his. So <laughs> I don't know if they had discussions about it, but it was like, okay, take care of Ted. He's going to be slow at this. But uh, I, I, it was, it was great. Uh, and Kevin uh, 
Kevin allowed me to do that. Uh, and that was, that has got to be now, let me think about this. Uh, like 30 years ago, man, if, if not, if not longer. Uh, yeah. And that was a big step. And something that you, and something you remembered 30 years later, you know, that's, that's cool. And that's the type of impact that you can have, right? When you, when you take the time to, to share some of your expertise and knowledge, you can, you can, you know, imp- impress upon some somebody an experience that they'll remember for decades. I think that's really cool. You know, uh, the Boy Scouts have a training method. It's called Edge. You, you know what that is? So no, no, I've never heard of it. Edge E D G E. So it starts with E. You explain what's happening. Uh, D. You demonstrate. You know, well, how to do something, and that's what Kevin did. He demonstrated to me how to how to negotiate, and then he then you guide. Then you have the person do it uh, and you guide them through it, but they're actually doing it, but you're still providing guidance. Uh, and then the final part, the final E is, I think it's, I, I call it uh, encourage, uh, but then you, you got, you let them loose. <laughs> you, yeah. Right. You let them loose. <laughs> and that's the scary step for lots, for, for lots of lawyers, like let them loose and, and encourage them, empower them to actually then do what you train them to do. <laughs> Cause we're, we're kind of we're many of us are control freaks we have a hard time letting go uh and that's a that's a scary step for for lawyers but that's exactly what kevin did for me well thanks thanks for sharing that uh ted last question um and this is something i ask everybody that comes on the show if there is a one great resource um that you would recommend that's been beneficial to you in your career. Uh, what, what, what would you recommend? Uh, I, I do, a, I, I, I thought about that question and I don't know if I have a, you know, individual book, uh, or podcast that I would uh, point out, but I do enjoy the books by, uh, and he's a little maybe dated now called Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, and he has a podcast called, um, I think I'll revisionist history which is essentially similar to his books. Uh, they're, rel- they're j- relatively short chapters and they have various, uh, various uh, uh, stories in, in them. Uh, so I, I enjoy reading those. I enjoy listening to the podcast. It may, may not be, he may not be making any more. I think he did maybe three seasons of these podcasts, um, but I find it very interesting, including one, he examined the LSATs, which is our you know, entry level test uh, and how, LSATs and affect grades and how grades affect law firm hiring, which I found very, very, very fascinating and about how all of that really doesn't correlate to success <laughs> in law firm. Uh, but I, I, I do, I did enjoy his writing and I enjoy his, I enjoyed his podcast. Um, there's one, one of his chapters was about the 10,000 hour rule where you know, I'm an expert in anything. You need roughly 10,000 hours. Uh, and I, it, it's helpful for me to, when I talk to younger attorneys, that come out of law school and say, listen, you need to put in some time to get good at this <laughs> and it'll be a roughly 10,000 hours. <laughs> so yeah. And that's a lot of time. <laughs> oh yeah. If you do 2000 hours a year, which is a lot and it's going to be quality. It's got to be quality experience. It can't just be, you know, rope doing the exact same thing over and over again. Uh, if you do 2000 hours a year, that'll be five years. Uh, and that's right. Working hard. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I think it, I think I hope it encourages them in that. Hey, listen, I got it. You don't know how to do it right now, but and we under, but we understand that it's going to take a little time time to get better at this because we all went through it. We all went through that 
10, the 10,000 hour period. Uh, it's interesting. He, in his chapter, the, there's, there's people and uh, organizations that you think, oh, they just came out of nowhere and they were just really good. I mean, you think Michael Jordan was just really good or the Beatles were really good. <laughs> no, they put in their 10,000 hours before they got to where they're at. They just, they just did it with, you know, huge zeal. <laughs> got it done pretty, pretty fast. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I, well, that's great. It's great advice, and it's and it's super relevant to everything else you were saying too. You know, it's the it's looking up to those that have experience, the, those with experience sharing, helping the journey. You know, helping helping stand the path, being humble. Uh, you know, understanding your limits, but also being aspirational. Uh, it all connects together, and I think it's probably a good way to kind of finish this episode bookmark into where we start or uh, book ending, I guess would be the word to where we started talking about how we're in this period of great change right now. And just kind of putting all those different tools, I guess you could say, uh, together to or ways of thinking together and, and pioneering our way forward through this, right? We'll draw on some experiences from the past, but also be looking to, you know, being open to new things and understanding that some of this is just going to have to be time and experience. You know, this is an unprecedented uh, thing that we're going through. And um, I think when we come out on the other end, it will be one more thing that our industry, your industry, you know, each of us individually in our personal lives has gone through and we can look back on it and say, you know what, we didn't know, we didn't know everything because it was new, um, but we've learned from it and uh, we're probably going to, you know, eventually be stronger because of it. Yeah, I, I agree. It's it's very troubling times for many people. Uh, people, I, I understand. A lot of folks going through very difficult times. Uh, but you're right. I think it's also an opportunity uh, to look at our systems, look at how we're doing things, uh, get better at it. We're going to make mistakes. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> in, in, in reopening, there will be mistakes made. Um, but with the right attitude, you're, I, I agree with you. I think it's an opportunity to relook at how we're how we're doing things and uh, hopefully do them better. Ted, I really appreciated our call or our talk today. Um, thanks so much for sharing with us. Really great insight and uh, um, really grateful for your time. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. I enjoyed it. Work Inspired is brought to you by BOS, a leader in commercial working environments and a Hayworth best in class dealership. Experience our 360 approach and discover the team, tools, and techniques required to navigate the complexity of your next workspace at BOS.com. If you have ideas, feedback, or would like to be featured on our show, please email podcast at BOS.com. Thank you for listening. This has been a Workspace Digital production. If you're interested in launching a podcast at your organization, please email info at workspace.digital for a free consultation.